I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Treehouse, episode 61. Wagons Hole with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Thank you, Louise. And here we are, then, everybody gathered in this particular location for the last time. 61 shows, mm. but number 62 will be bang on schedule, but in a different place. And I'll tell that about, about that in a minute. Uh, welcome, everyone. Another two hours of fun for old and young. Without the slightest hint of vulgarity, a good deed in this wicked world. And we intend to uh, continue that with your help as we jump to hyperspace. But more of that in Stanta, uh, Louise Pepper. Louise Napoleon Pepper, the great Thank granddaughter you. of Ho Chi Minh, is on the other side of town. And uh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a certain crackle about this one because, uh, as I say, show 61, Wagons Ho, and uh, uh, I won't hit it too hard, but we are going to try and make a go of this. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure people will think uh, that uh, we see all the, uh, whatever the adverts are, I, I must listen to them one day uh, in these, that uh, Louise and I then go home and bathe in ass's milk. <laughs> I, I, you know, if we come we out... We got uh, two, two bottles of beer each, didn't we? We I got two bottles it. of beer and of average, and I'm not trying to break anyone's heart, the world is in a curious place, which is why hopefully this show exists and thrives. But if we've earned a tenner or a show out of these, we've had a pretty good week. And I am not joking, but that's not the point. You know, people have been used to... But this is where we're going to have to try and uh, gather our forces. And uh, I've built this place we can go to. And I and it's got my new book and everything there. And I've been updating like crazy. And more on that as we go. But welcome, everyone. And I do hope you can, uh, uh, as they say, move forward with us. Because it really is a, a huge, huge leap. But uh, anyway, perhaps we can't, we can't keep talking... Uh, picking pockets here <laughs> this early on in the show uh, what's that oh of course it's um, a Christmas carol isn't it no reason to pick a man's pocket every December the 25th <laughs> oh have we done our first Christmas mention we made all the Christmas show even if you don't join us what are we else. we're four months off it's we practically going, around the corner that doesn't matter uh, and all the new games are going to come in and the old games and the sausage sandwich and everything and so this is just a, a gathering of the troops and the forces and I do hope you can join us uh, as we move forward from here but uh, uh so here's the thing um, we, the, one of the last of the um uh, great inventors john hampton oh. uh, of new orleans in 1841 he patented the venetian blind uh, oh, on august good 21st fellow. now but here's the thing like so many people who patented it that just means they legged it down the patent office first because venetian blinds perhaps have been mm. around in europe 
since the 1700s, he did this in 1841, they've been around in Persia since 1100. <laughs> <laughs> the Persians, like everything else, they just, they, you know, they're way They should ahead. be a Persian blind then. They should be, they're called La Parisiens in France, of course they are. Um, by the way, Persia, which is of course Iran, Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when did you think that changeover came? Because uh, Persia is a great name for a country. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. Persia has real music about it. That's the king and I and all of that. Mm. So that's Siam. But uh, another great name for a country, by the way. Uh, when do you think Persia turned into Iran? Nineteen ten. Thirty-five. You're not too bad. Not thirty-five. And it was the. And I'm not being no inference here, but this is the truth. The uh, the Persian ambassador in in Berlin in 1935 suggested uh, uh, this and he put it forward and they got the backing of the German government because they wanted Persia to cut ties with the British Empire and they said how about we, we go for the old name Iran which has the same root as Aryan and that's absolutely true no 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 there it is you know I just put that out there Iran is at the same uh, word root as Aryan and they they ran it by the Germans and the Germans put their thumb up said you should go for that anyway but that brings us back to the Venetian blind if, in your house perhaps the Venetian blinds are, are they on have you got a little pole you twist to open them or have you got the strings um we do you know what we haven't got any in this house haven't you or oh, there's the stick in the we did in my them. old flat mm-hmm. my parents have got yes the strings and then the stick to twiddle to open yeah, yeah. and close because no, they, 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 they pull them up and then a, a wooden stick to twiddle them well, this house is full of them and, and then they're oh, held okay. can i say they're held to clean oh they're awful to I'm, clean I'm just, I'm just cupping my ear to the door see if wendy laughing like a drain what would you know about that she says but i've heard let me put it another way i've heard they're hell to clean uh <laughs> you have any my dog that's why we don't have any in this house because i had them in my old flat well you've got to get one of those things that french maids in old comedy sketches had one of those feather dusters which you don't often see uh my dog uh twizzle the lunatic twizzle um uh, he, he used to launch himself at uh, anyone who walked within half a mile radius of our house uh, on the tours and stuff. He, the photographs and the stories of him were always well received. Uh, and uh, Twizzle, once we came home uh, when we lived in Deptford, and he always threw himself at the front door even when we came up to him. And a real boom! You think, well, and he'd be back up and boom again. Uh, uh, well, he, he ruled Paul Gascoigne out of an England fixture. If you saw the shows, you know that's what Twizzle does. Anyway, and we'd open the door and say, such a soppy old git, and he'd sort of back off. Uh, but one time he came home, no boom, nothing. I said, he's quiet. He's quiet. We went in, went out to where he, you know, his, his bowl or his, his, you know, his basket was, nothing. Twizzle! Twizzle! Where is he? We could not find him. We went into the front room, and there he was, two feet off the ground, tangled up in the Venetian blind. No. Yes, he was. He'd launched himself oh, at it. His feet see, had that's gone why through. I don't like them. His seat had gone through, and, and he, was kind, he was kind of spread eagled, and, and his snout was through, facing us, but we couldn't see his eyes, and he was just hanging there. And I went up and opened two of the Venetian blinds with my thumb and forefinger, and he peered out at me, and I peered in at him. I said, what have you done? And for one of the few times in Twizzle's life, he looked bested, as if to say, we will never talk of this again. He must have launched himself at the Venetian blinds, started thrashing around, becoming more entangled as he thrashed. And he was half in, half out of the Venetian blind, two feet off the ground. No, they're a menace. They're a menace. Well, that, uh, John Hampton brought us these today. A couple well, of other things. Off. Uh, the adding machine today was... Uh, oh, okay. uh, everyone enjoys an adding machine, especially if they've got the, the lever on the side of it, mm. like a one-armed bandit. One-armed bandit? Do people say one-armed bandit anymore? There's nothing wrong in saying one-armed bandit, is there? I don't, I don't think, think so. There is. What a weird thing to call a machine. 
a one-armed bandit. Yes, it took your because it, it takes your money off you. Yeah, I guess so. But, but one-armed bandit. No, oh. fruit machines are generics, isn't it? But uh, uh, by the way, the greatest sound effect we own here, and we use it sparingly because I don't want it to wear out. I don't want the tape to wear out like a Mellotron. Uh, uh, the uh, absolute number one uh, sound effect we have is an old, it's very satisfying, is an adding machine. Ladies and gentlemen, as a bonus, let's hear the adding machine sound effect. Superb. You see, that's why we only use it sparing. It's such a beautiful thing. I mean, it starts coughing out the results at the end. You really feel technology has something going for it. Matter Pepsi said, oh, a minute ago. What? It reminded me, you know, um, I read out an email from a man who called splinters shivers. Yes. And it was an old word for splinters. Yes. And I've just looked up, it was Leighton who, who tweeted us hmm. saying it suddenly dawned on him that shiver me timbers. Oh has an actual proper meaning, as in not shaky shivery, it's oh. turning the timbers of the ship into splinters and, and pieces. Isn't that something? Man, a lot. did you just figure that out? I'll just look at all No, it was Leighton who tweeted us after the podcast saying, Shiver me timbers. Mind blown, shiver me timbers. I mean, again, it's probably in there with one arm bandit, but uh, uh, shiver me timbers, yes, of course, brilliantly deduced. One last thing. Uh, uh, by the way, I was looking. I, was, I might save it for the next few shows, but I'm, I'm researching another Amazon reviews thing, and it's very, very good. But along the way, I found the chalk C H O R K, which is chopsticks and fork all in one. It's, it's at the end where the chopsticks sometimes have a, you know, where they're joined at the top. Mm-hmm. It's got a fork on it, and, and I don't know why this isn't because I, 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 you know, not got nothing against them, but. Give me a knife and fork, as Jerry Seinfeld said. They must have seen the knife and fork by now. Uh, but um, uh, uh, the idea that we can get a chalk, and, and that was out there. But by the way, and we do start the show. There's no point me advertising the future when everyone says you don't even get these shows started. Why on earth should we subscribe to it? We don't even get these shows started. And sadly, from here on in, if you want to, you know, email us and take part and all that, it is shifting somewhere. Well, yeah, we're going to charge rent. <laughs> we can't help it. <laughs> We've got to make a living. Uh, we've got to try and put this on a, a paying basis. But William Shepard invented liquid soap in 1865. Now, liquid soap... 1865? I thought that only eight, came in at about 1988. Here, well, you're absolutely right. In 1865, he invented it, but there was no... How about this? How about this? I'm tempted to not give this huge piece of information until, uh, the, you know, the hayseeds at the door have put across their palms with silver. But this is the sort of thing. You're not going to get anywhere else. So William Shepard invents it, and no one knows what to do with it. They use it in industry, but there's no way of selling it. it it's too expensive to put in glass bottles. Oh, of course. And it wasn't until 1980, you were really right, when the Mini Tonka Company uh, decided they're going to go forward with this, but they weren't very big, the Mini Tonka Company, uh, as uh, they were in Minnesota. But how about this, everyone? Whatever you're doing, listen to this. This is one of those brilliant marketing manoeuvres in the history of, of, of commerce. The Mini Tonka Company thought, well, we're going to market it, but what's going to happen? All the big pharmaceuticals and all of that are going to bring out their own versions, and uh, you know, all the big stores are not going to take us. So this is absolutely true. Mini Tonka bought up the world's entire supply of pump dispensers. So only they had them. They bought every, this is true. Every single pump dispenser in the world 
It took six months for the world to replenish its pump dispensers <laughs> again, by which time there was only one show in town, and that was the Mini Tonka uh, hand, hand soap. Oh. Uh, and it was branded, we are going to start the show. We're trying to give as much bang for your buck as we disappear into hyperspace. Uh, not disappear, hopefully. Uh, it was marketed as soft soap. And you're talking about shivering me timbers. People used to say that, don't soft soap me. Oh. I don't know why. My nan always just said, oh, don't give me the old soft soap. If yeah, I yeah, to, yeah. Know, go around there for a two shilling piece or an ice cream. Go on, you know that soft soap? You can take one. Soft soap. Uh, so there's your, there's your William Shepherd. And, and, and that's plenty, I think, um, uh, for the opening of the programme. What are we doing today, Peps? Number one, you have, in fact, written one song. Mm -hmm. Number two, something in your house people always ask about. Number three, what have you spilled and over what? Number four, the first thing you ever complained about. And number five, breakfast cereal disasters. Breakfast cereal disasters. I threw that one in there right at the last minute yesterday, but we don't know where we're going to go with that. Uh, but there it is. That's the, um, the menu as we have it. Uh, anything from the past 60-odd shows, please um, always go back to those subjects. What have you got over there, Peps? Well, we've got Kate who's made up her own. Um, it was about... <laughs> That's always happened. That's always... And bless you and bravo. Go on. <laughs> this is about... you. She says, this is from Kate. You were talking about on that on how to answer the phone. This is when um, hello replaced ahoy, you were saying last yes, week. Yes, last week, and we went around the world. We've done it many times over the years, seeing how uh, different nations uh, answer the phone. Reminded me of an incident with my dad. She puts brackets, he of the elephant sighting from a plane in Somerset. Yes, uh, I don't think we've done that yet, but I've got it right here. Got, ah, OK. Right here. I was going to say, I'm sure I'd remember that. You know what, Peps, and it's the last time I'm going to mention it. If nobody follows us across to the Patreon site, it doesn't matter. We've got both got yes. such a backlog of emails. We'll just read them to each other. And that'll be plenty of fun. <laughs> We've got such a backlog. I'll do the elephant today. Continue. As Pep said, we used to answer the phone with our phone number. My dad was self-employed and as such, we had two phone lines, one private and one for his business. This was rather unusual in the early 80s. And of course, all phone numbers in the village started with the same three digits, so four, five, six. Hmm. To differentiate, we had a dial phone for one and a trim phone for the other. One evening, my dad was calling his mate to arrange a swift half. Using his business line, as soon as he called them, the private line started to ring. As no one was home, dad answered the private line, 456477, hello. But no sooner than he did that, than his friend answered the other line. So he put the <laughs> business line to one ear and then the mystery one to the other. Hi, hang on a minute, Barry, I've got someone on the other line. Hello, hello, nothing. Uh, Barry, sorry, I'll be a minute. I can't get anything out of this other fella. Hello? Hello? Thankfully, my mum walked in after he'd been doing this for five minutes, un unsure why nobody was talking to him. Yes, Barry's number was very similar and Dad had actually dialed our own private fat landline and had spent five minutes talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's easily done. That's easily done. When I used to be the receptionist at the Newsville Express, uh, I used to have tremendous fun connecting people to themselves, or certainly much, much more fun uh, connecting just people up randomly to each other in the office. You say Charlie Murray would be sitting there, Charlie, call for you. Nick Kent would be there, Nick, call for you. And I'll connect them both. And they would go, hello, 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 hello. What, what, do you, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's Dan again. <laughs> no, they're trying to do 5,000 words on Brian Wilson here. Uh, this is a, a tremendous email from Richard, uh, and it's a boast, and it, it continues the always fascinating subject of giraffes. 
Now, when I said, uh, what can you tell us about giraffes? I, I said, if we only get three, then, then that's plenty. And that's the idea of all the subjects. Uh, but Richard gives us, some, how about this though, for a career change? He says, about 40 years ago, I worked as an animal keeper in the Longleat Safari Park. Now, I don't know what he does now, but how do you follow that up? I used to be, I used to work uh, in at Longleat. Uh, in, he says here, in the East Africa section, where there was a variety of animals, zebras, camels, elephants, and giraffes. Now, your giraffe, he says, height notwithstanding, is a very aloof creature and sees anything beneath them as, well, beneath them, to the point that they will literally walk right over you if you don't get out the way. Despite this sense of superiority, they share a digestive system similar to a cow's. I don't know why that should disqualify them from being superior, but bless you. <laughs> Despite this sense of superiority, they share a digestive system similar to a cow's and find it necessary to regurgitate the food uh, once they've chewed the cud. Now, this is no problem in a lesser animal, but when your neck is eight foot long, there's a very long way for a mouthful of cud to travel each time on its way to and from each stomach. You know, you, you know, we've got a second brain in our stomach. You know that, Peps. I've told you six times or not, probably. Look at your face. I've never told you that, have I? We really, no. really do. Um, we, we, really, we really do. I know it sounds like, well, I'm sure I've heard of that, but when, when this is all over, <laughs> have a look on We really do have a second brain in our stomach. It never gets any of the PR the real brain gets, but the second brain in our stomach. Anyway, we're on, uh, uh, Richard's telling us about the digestive system of the giraffe here. <laughs> uh, as a consequence, our giraffes have found it useful when eating to lean their necks on top of fences, branches, or rails as a way of aiding digestion and regurgitation. That's a lovely image, isn't it? They eat and then lay their head down. What else? I've felt like that before now. <laughs> so... Uh, Harold was our largest giraffe at just over 18 feet tall, and he weighed 1.75 tonnes, about the same weight as your family car. One day, I was filling Harold's hay rack whilst he was in his pen. My platform was about 12 feet from the ground, and I had my back to him while I was busy loading his rack with food. Having already had a few mouthfuls, he suddenly leaned in and squashed my head between his not inconsiderable neck and the metal hay rack, purely so he could aid his digestion, get it down the hatch. This intense pressure lasted for a few seconds, long enough for the ball of cud to travel the length of his neck before I was released. I feel I am alone in the treehouse listenership to have had an 18-foot, 1.75-ton giraffe on my head. Now, and he says, by the way, while I'm here, and as we all know, all your subjects are permanently open. Yes, they are. Or open to interpretation. Many months ago, you had a topic, my family is the worst at keeping secrets. Well, I'm going to put a marker down and say that my family is the best at keeping secrets. 40 years. Both sides kept the same secret from each other, thinking the other did not know. It is not a tragedy. This is not a terrible family secret. But the tale of the loss of a family teddy bear. Let me know if you want this story. Oh, oh now, what? Listen, Pep, nothing could be more of a trailer for our future venture <laughs> than that. Yes, Richard, we want the story, but it's it's obviously not for everyone. You've got to join us over the other side. How about that? A secret 40 years that divided a family about a teddy bear. Oh, that makes me want to sign up, and I'm doing the racket. Uh, what you got over there, Peps? This is from Joe, Joe Jagger, appropriately. I have written one song. I wrote it when I was seven with my older brother on a baby keyboard and the lyrics are If Joan of Arc had a radio, would she listen? Okay. 
I bet she would if she thought she could, but she lives too far away. That is brilliant. I can still play it to this day, says Joe. Well, please do. Send us a little... Um, yeah. Again, we're building up stock here. We're on Easy Street now, Peps. <laughs> the last 61 shows, we've had our feet to the fire. Not now. <laughs> People are rolling up, filling... That's a... That's well, Morrissey. Didn't Morrissey write something like that? I was going to say, isn't it... And, and Joan, Joan of Arc and her headphones melted in yes, the Yes, oh, maybe, maybe that was the inspiration. It's no, the, no, it's I think the, our uh, friend was the answer song. Speaking of which, Jane is in touch, and this is the subject of there's something in your house everybody asks about. Mm. And Jane says, we own Spike Milligan's old upright piano. When people find out it's his, they have to play a few notes on it. Yes, you would. Yes. Now, I don't know if that's Jane, his daughter, Jane Milligan, but uh, Spike's old piano. Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd lift that lid. Uh, not the actual keys one. You know the one at the top where you can see mm. uh, all the strings laid out. That's a lot of fun lifting the top of a piano and running your fingers along them, and it like a harp. But oh, I would stick my. Uh, what? You've never I done that. I keep telling you, my granddad burnt my mum's piano for firewood, so we've never have never had one. Well, uh, ne- 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 the next time you pass one, you- you're in the BBC still. Uh, uh, and uh, like I said that with some some venom. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, uh, but lift. They've got pianos all over the place. You know, mm. you you felt pay for them, so you're entitled. Lift the top bit up. Uh, where they have all the uh, strings and that, and just take a whiff. It's a beautiful smell of an old museum. Ooh. And in that case, Spike Millennium. Uh, one more quick oh, one. funny you used to say that. The only, the only piano I have ever sniffed was the grand piano we had in the big hall at school. Mm. Our one smelt of curry. Did it? Did it? Because of a prank. Oh. Some of the girls played on the Music Master... Yeah. Was they put a load of curry powder in it? Did so they? That when he either when he I think when he used to get angry he used to slam the lid of the grand piano down. <laughs> scarf. Hmm. So they put curry powder in it. So when he did in a tantrum at the, at the girls who were misbehaving, a plume of that curry powder smoke came out. But I, it, I, let, Fable had it. It happened sort of 10, 15 years before we joined the school. But still, hmm. it smelt of curry. A piano smelling of curry powder. That's right there up go. there with a pith helmet full of saveloys. <laughs> I should jot that down. Uh, if, if anyone else uh, on the dread subject, uh, if you've never heard the show before, this is this is this is the core. This is like the little aniseed that used to be at the centre of a gobstopper. Uh, this, um, uh, if you've ever smelled a piano or a musical instrument. The smelling musical instruments is a huge subject, and I hope it'll see us through the next six months. This is from our friend Alice. Uh, and uh, this is uh, dogs given half the chance on what they'll steal and that uh, when they become burglars. Uh, and Alice says, I've got a story about my dog, Basil. He's a boxer. Many years ago when Basil was just a young dog, we had a party at our house. Things were going well. The buffet was popular, as were the drinks. And the dog was hanging around and enjoying himself and everyone making a fuss of him. About six months later, I was in bed with my husband when we heard the dog come running up from the garden, up the stairs and jumped on the bed between us, as he normally did to say good morning. But he seemed unusually excited this day and he dropped something between us for us to marvel at. We thought it was a toy or a ball, but on further inspection, it seemed to be a lump of coal. Intrigued at this, my husband started gingerly pulling it apart and then shouted, oh, it's not coal. Oh God, it's a pork pie. It's a bloody pork pie. Sure enough, you could just about tell it was a fully intact, but black and carbonized whole pork pie. I couldn't remember the last time we'd had pork pies. Searching our memories, we remembered the buffet six months before. Surely not. We asked Basil to show us what was going on, and he was thrilled to take us into the garden where he led us to a freshly dug hole. 
the whole was lined quite well with preserved slices of pizza, some paper plates, more pies and a lot of plastic forks. Basically the whole buffet had been stolen from the party and Basil had put it into his hole in the ground. I'm not sure why he wanted to keep it all for so long and why that particular morning thought, ah, the buffet I buried will just about be done now. He seemed furious when we disposed of his treasure and he never stole anything again. Now, Basil died a few years ago, but still now, if we see anything that even looks like a lump of coal, we'll shout to each other, God, it's a bloody pork pie. <laughs> That's from Alice. Bless you, Alice. That's a tremendous story. Uh, Samuel Pepys and his cheese. It is. Yes, he's got his huge parmesan. Uh, now, we're going to take a little break and we'll back. Uh, you know what I was going to do? And this is mean. And I promise, I know it seems one note today. But I was going to say, now, if you want to hear the second part of the show, you pick it up on on the other thing, you know, and halfway tempted to now, uh, because it, I know I know in these straightened times, but don't be don't be mar and parsimonious. Uh, they, uh, we we we're, we're knocking ourselves out, and it's not just the shows over at the Patreon thing. Uh, I've, I'm doing all my writings, and and those are if you've ever seen the stage shows, you know, I, I don't do short shrift, uh, so there's plenty over there. But in the meantime, here's some messages, and we'll be right back. Good morning everybody, it's the Danny Baker Show Radiating out across the airwaves Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away What better thing to do than have a jolly japer too Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And we're back again. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for sticking with us. There's much to discuss, and already the pile of emails in front of me. Oh, one of the things we were doing, Peps, mm. um, was uh, uh, I, I threw this out there. And I, again, I, I, yeah, I'd had a couple of drinks. So what? Sometimes it inspires me. But I've been following this story about, you know, the... Uh, the whole astrological chart has changed now, and there's this. Oh, yeah, sign. an extra star sign, yeah. yeah. There's extra star sign, and um, all of this shuffles around, and everyone's having a lot of fun with it. Uh, but it's something we did a long time ago, on, on, or I did on the radio, uh, come up with an alternative zodiac, uh, because why not? And uh, so I did ask people to do some of those. And we've had, I mean, I suggested, that, and it was actually a listener who gave it, it was last time around, that at the sign of the crossed xylophone sticks, so you have the Patrick Moore sign, right? It was going to replace um, Libra. It was just going to be the sticks of the uh, uh, of the xylophone, and it was just called the Patrick Moore. So we are asking you to do those, and then um, in future shows, I'll bring it down to the 12. And don't forget, you will own your own star sign and all the rights, ceremony, and privileges that come with that. And we've already had a few suggestions from them, but it's actually today, as I speak, Peps, it's mm. um, Princess Margaret's birthday. And as you know, uh, again, I always assume this, I always assume you take any notice of what I'm saying and don't forget at the moment the show's over. But uh, uh, it was Princess Margaret's birthday that gave us the oh, Daily yes. Horoscope in newspapers. Yes, you're right. The, the Daily Express asked one of their people, good, you know, the old uh, astrology that they used to like years ago, make it up and say what's in store for the baby, Princess Margaret. They put it in the uh, Daily Express in 1930. 
And it was such a success, the editor said, keep that up. And that was the birth of horoscopes in newspapers. Nothing more or less than a hack was assigned to come up with some old guff to celebrate Princess Margaret's birthday. So the heavens are with us on this. But if you want to suggest a sign and, uh, you know, don't be you know, satirical or clever about it, uh, just give us a sign that you think would uh, sit nicely. And on the website, I will once a month say what the future holds for you uh, in, in our new Zodiac. Give us something from over there, Peps. This is uh, it's quite a long one from Ian. This is something in your house people always ask about, or rather don't. This isn't just a single thing, but a new one every year, not just for us, but the house next door. When we moved into our home 10 years ago, we met our neighbours socially and we hit it off and soon became great friends and would buy each other a small gift at Christmas. Then we had an idea after some drink was taken that we would each buy a gift that must remain on display in the living room for the full next 12 months. Nothing outright vulgar or upsetting, but you can go tasteless with a limit of £15. The first year wasn't a huge success. We bought them a two-foot-high ceramic cockerel that we were sure would draw maximum attention. But following some mix-up in the understanding of the arrangement, they brought us a very tasteful, attractive wooden box for playing cards. However, recognising the error in their memory, they vowed to do better next year. So the following Christmas, we received a huge, brightly coloured, pirate-shipped teapot. Game was on. Over the next few years, we put more effort into them, but one of our best was we gave them a gift of a photo frame. It proudly spelt out the word friends in large letters with a large central picture surrounded by five smaller ones. Always focusing on the fact that people who knew both us and people who didn't know us would see the pictures, we thought the picture selection was very important. Then my son had a great idea. Rather than a collection of regular photos, let's pretend they were photos of us that had been taken without our knowledge. Uh Or their knowledge. So during the whole summer, we would pop into their garden front and back and take pictures of ourselves as if they had taken them without us knowing. We did dodgy acting like looking over my shoulder as if I've heard a noise and unlocking the front door. They loved it and such was the reaction of those who knew us all that they moved it into the hall. I should mention he works as a psychologist. (laughs) They positioned the frame next to the front door so as people left their house it was impossible to miss. From the plumber and decorators to double glazing folk and distant relatives, all must have seen those strange pictures during 12 12 months. But we are told not a single person ever asked or said a word, but did leave quite often with a puzzled look. That's a tremendous, tremendously complicated. And of course, it's a psychologist involved. Absolutely beautiful story. Who's that from? Ian. Thank you very much indeed, Ian. Uh, so here's a... Um, by the way, do you ever have them... They were popular for a bit. You know the frames you can put your picture uh, a sort of uh, thing in it and it changes the pictures for it, reads them off a camera card? Yes, yes. One has them then. Persevere with it. We've had about five of them. They were, they were pretty <laughs> the, fluid yesterday. The worst experience of one of those was... Uh, <laughs> my brother had one uh, on his mantelpiece, beautiful mm-hmm. pictures of uh, the children, until it worked round to the post-operative pictures of an op he had. Did he? Yes. Those are, those are sort yes. of gaps gathering. Oh, and I we see. all went, oh, 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 that's the thing, those cards are thousands and thousands of folders, didn't they? Well, we, we had them uh, and, and eventually they got back in the drawer. I think charity shops are full of them. These <laughs> yes. uh, by the way, uh, new subject for next time, don't talk to me about photographs. 
Let's see what we get for that. Don't talk to me about photographs. We'll have that. This is from our friend Steve. Uh, and this is Spillages. Spillages, of course, Spillages. A number of years ago, my wife and I stopped to the Asterix Park near Paris, where we were meeting up with our daughter, who had been there as part of a school trip. The plan was we'd collect her there and drive south for our family holiday, saving her the long trip home to Scotland on the bus with all of her fellow mates. We arrived early and the children were still in the park. The bus driver kindly invited us to join him on the bus while we waited. The bus was beautifully appointed, dark green leather, which uh, was normally used to transport the Celtic football team to away matches. How about that? We were offered coffee and I gladly filled a large polystyrene cup. I asked for milk and was pointed towards the front of the bus. Still wearing my sunglasses, I stepped towards the front but didn't notice there was a step down. I lunged forward and threw the entire contents of the steaming black coffee over the inside of the windscreen. But worse, the driver had all his paperwork, passenger lists, etc. neatly laid out on the flat area below the windscreen and the tsunami of boiling hot coffee poured right through them. With a scream, the driver leapt forward past me and frantically tried to gather them up and shake off the swirling torrents of liquid. Of course, at this point, our daughter arrives back with her classmates, who all stood there stunned, watching this driver swearing up a storm, trying to retrieve what he could. In the uproar, my wife, daughter and I quickly tiptoed to the exit, gathered up her bags and headed straight for our car. We did not look back. Thank you very much, Steve. Bravo. But we used to have a um, coach driver on the Millwall away trips when we were in 88, 89 and 90 when Millwall were briefly in the top flight. Uh, and it was all good fun and hijinks. But our driver, I won't even mention his name, but... Uh, uh, he was out of your part of the world, perhaps. Oh, yeah. We live now, but he was a. Uh, and uh, he was he was very, very amenable because when you've got a coach full of Millwall supporters, mm. sometimes are mm. loath to say, yes, boys, come in and have a drink. <laughs> um, and you know, my old man, I used to tell you, my, my, so my old man, who was obviously 20 odd, 30 odd years most older than most of the other people on the coach, uh, yet, truth be told, was the most notorious one who'd been thrown out of many football grounds for a while, perhaps. We used to uh, uh, stop in car parks of pubs, and because my dad, you know, he always wore a, a tie and a jumper, even in his later life, uh, mainly in his later life, and would say, "Dad, you go in and say, look, uh, you know, we're a load of all sports, we don't know because they have signs outside, no football coaches." So he would go in. Uh, and it come out respectable and, face <laughs> yeah the respect little did they know so my old man used to do this and it would take about five or six stops before a pub would say okay but he would do it every one and he would always he would always be in there a few minutes you see and he would come out and say no no chance and people say, what's he talking about in it? I said, probably can't get the attention of the governor and that. It's only when my mate Steve Sheehan pointed out, he said, he's always wiping the corners of his mouth when he comes out. Watch. And he would come out and go, no, no, I don't want it in there. He'd had a, a brandy or a Guinness and everyone, <laughs> when we sat on the coach, I don't think he even asked. I don't think he even used to ask my old man. You can't go to a pub and not have a drink. I said, but what, we're all sitting outside, Dad. We're all sitting here. You've got to ask. Oh, you can do more chance if you buy a drink, he's going to let you in. But anyway, uh, so our coach driver, he was the worst for it. Once we did get into a, a pub, he wouldn't come out. He'd stand on the one-armed bandit, as was, and he'd have a pint on top of it. This is terrible, I know. And would also, um, let's call him Larry. He wasn't called Larry. Eddie, we'll let him make a move, mate. We're going to miss the kick. Go on, hang on one minute. I've got two, you know, two bells here. I'm going to hold, hold, another drink. And coming home, <gasps> he was murder. 
We said, Larry, any chance, mate? Or we're going to drive ourselves. One more. Go on, one more. Go sit down. We'll be only half hour out. It, that, I know. I know. It's a different era and all of that. So not only was it a coach load of mirror supporters, but the, the driver used to like a drink. Now, that is terrible, I know. But he used to have a kip during the game. He wasn't interested in football at all. So he'd have a kip during the game. So I'm all right now. I'm all right. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> all I'm doing is bringing us an oral history. <laughs> <laughs> you read that game, I'm sorry, but if you read the diaries, uh, they're full of stories like this. I've been writing thousands and thousands and thousands of words. Uh, it, 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 I was fucking on two tours this year. One with oh, uh, yeah, of Harris, one on my own. You know, Natana, so I'm pouring it all into that. Uh, give us something over there, Peps. Well, this is from Michael. Mad things in the middle of nowhere. He said, last week, one of your emails mentioned that they were the only patrons at a place called Bed- Bedrock, home of the Flintstones, yes. somewhere in the desert on the way to the Grand Canyon. And um, we have since found out that it has closed down. It has only recently, though, yeah. But he says, I can beat that at the same place. Me and a couple of mates were driving around America in 1979, and we came across Bedrock and pulled in. Ours again was the only car in the car park and off we went to see if anything was going on. We tried every door and every entrance, knocking, banging, shouting. It wasn't the bank holiday or a Sunday. It was the middle of August. The place was like the Marie Celeste. We were a bit disappointed. The only memory we could take away was a photo of two of us taken with an Instamatic camera. How the place was still open 34 years later, <laughs> I have no words. Well, it is sadly, yes, it did. It looks well, it looks all right in all the photographs. Yeah. And I've got to say, if someone said there's a Flintstones theme park over there, yeah, even better there's no one in it. Even better. Here's a couple of suggestions for the um, uh, star signs. Uh, this is uh, from Jonathan. He says, further to your discussions about a giraffe recently, though the giraffe itself would not be a satisfactory uh, or indeed a, a clever symbol for a star sign, they are too tall for a horizontal box. <laughs> that means. A fellow creature always struck me as slightly exotic and mystical, the okapi. Now, the okapi shares many properties with Brer giraffe and is also called the zebra giraffe or sometimes the forest giraffe. I'm currently a Virgo. I'm always a bit odd with, uh, awkward with that one. And if you can grant me mid-September this new sign, I for one will proudly announce I am an Okapi. Now that's on the list. I know it's not bad, is it? We've got the Okapi like and the Patrick Moore. Uh, uh, the final decision won't be made for a couple of weeks yet. And uh, Neil from uh, and Barrington gets in touch. Said, "How about the Tommy Cooper? Now, Neil, come on. We've got to we've got to have some credibility in the astrology. There's nothing else, if not copper bottoms." Uh, the sign of the feds. Mothers around the world will be praying to their, for their child to be born under that sign, as obviously the birth will be uh, just like that. And the, hey. <laughs> I know, but the feds ain't a bad sign, particularly for me. But I'm going to disqualify that, Neil, because it's it, it's too larkish. And that's the wrong thing to do. It's too larkish, I think. Uh, something from there, Peps. What do you got? Uh, this is from Mark in Leicester. This is a tale of me going skiing, and I think it fits in with living out a comedy film in real life. Hmm. Back when I was 12, me and my high school had a skiing trip to Austria, a glorious week in the mountains, and we were all pretty much beginners, with naturally some better than others. After a couple of days of me struggling to grasp it, our infuriated instructor decided the best hope for me was to tie me to her to help me keep up. What could possibly go wrong? Well, it was an improvement at first, but then once we were skiing... I was distracted and didn't notice she had stopped. And of course, I was attached to her and had nowhere to go in the ensuing seconds. Crash! Down we all went. No injuries, but a slightly bruised ego. But I did improve by the end of the week. 
So much so, I was convinced I was a shoe-in for Most Improved <laughs> Award. I was also I psyched up to accept it, but it went to someone else. A cruel world. Actually, so, that, that, that is something you only see in films. One goes down, the other go down. And usually, if a pumpkin uh, comes off a store and rolls down the street, people will be handily arranged like skittles, and they all go down as the pumpkin hits them. But I don't believe anyone uh, has ever seen that. I'm looking at, as we approach the end of this show, uh, just some of the vast amount of emails unread. They'll all get done. They'll all get done. Uh, and uh, there's uh, uh, elephant here, car keys, uh, bumper car. What's result? Result with an exclamation mark. Let me just take that. I can't even remember what this one is. Uh, result. Oh, this is from Glyn. Many years ago, me and a mate were walking over the moorland north of Rochdale. We were the only people from... Oh, I know what this is. This is things in the middle of nowhere. Ooh, yeah. uh, many years ago, me and a mate were walking over the moorland north of Rochdale. We were the only people from miles. We decided to take a shortcut between two paths down a steep hill. And there, on the grass, literally in the middle of nowhere, were two unopened cans of Stella and a pouch of Golden Virginia. Result! <laughs> you know, some fella, some some wildlife expert, some bird watcher, some twitcher, takes 30 seconds to go behind a tree and have his ease, comes back, where do I live there? Where they go? There's an equal other side to that story, I know. I've got the uh, job interview vending machine, Brian Salad, not buying a house. One's just called Thunderbirds here, phone manor. Uh, sad first words, hit by a vulture's head, uh, gerbil attack, Belgians, all these uh, headlines, another bus queue soaking, headlines on unread emails that we will get round to. I don't know what Tinder date is, but that seems uh, quite promising. Just did this one from Matt, and just a short one after that, if you like. Uh, this is mm. lovely. This is... um. Uh, well, I remember reading this earlier on today and thinking, that's beautiful. You would think that a law-abiding police drugs dog would know right from wrong, he begins. But Asti was a law unto herself. She was an unbelievable drugs dog, don't get me wrong. Her first search as a pup, after training, she found 30 grams worth of coke. <laughs> and then, in one of her last searches, 11 years later, she, she located 80 grand's worth. In the years between, she located guns and cash and loads and loads more drugs. But she got me into a load of trouble as well. For example, we'd been deployed on a drugs warrant with a numerous officers waiting on me and Asti to do our thing in a, in a large downstairs room with a mini bar in it. Asti put her nose in the air and she was off. Then she ran behind the minibar. Aha, I thought. There was a silence followed by the sound of Asti eating something. I looked over and could see her head inside a box. She looked round and she had cream on her nose. Opening the box, I found inside a birthday cake with a spaniel-sized snout trench running through the middle. It transpired to be a 21st birthday cake made by a very exclusive bakery and cost about 300 pounds. <gasps> Our sergeant had to pay four whack to replace this cake. We never did find any drugs. On another time, Asti ate an enormous ball of wool and had to have surgery to get it all out again. That cost another fortune. But she was a wonderful, clever dog, and nobody was ever angry with her. Isn't that beautiful? Oh. Drugs here, all I'm saying is, if you've got, if you've got, what was it, 80 grand worth of coke in your house, always have a birthday cake behind the settee, <laughs> and the police dog will it'll go straight for it. I think that's the lesson to be drawn from that. But something from you, Peps. Well, we'll stay with pets. It's another stealing pet. It's Richard in Herne Bay. Uh, we've had a number of cats over the years, but it's our black cat called William that sticks in the memory. Unfortunately, he used up his nine lives rather too quickly, but he proved to be a cat with very light fingers. Amongst his haul of swag was 
a koi carp, dead, a child's cuddly toy, a bread roll, another koi carp, alive, which we managed to get into a bucket of water to a friend's pond where it led a long and happy life. Oh. But his best and most audacious heist was to bring home a frozen pack of bacon that had no doubt been defrosting in someone's kitchen. <laughs> we often wonder about the poor person looking forward to their bacon sandwich who returned to find it gone. It's the same bloke who had his Stella on the path with his <laughs> yes. tobacco next to it. <laughs> he now thinks he's been targeted. <laughs> We're virtually done, but one thing I meant to say earlier on when we were dealing about nicknames, remember last week we've been saying a nickname you're stuck with. Mm. Uh, I've got a friend who's, uh, for, to this day, I've mentioned once or twice, it's called She Gave Me Water. Uh, and I know, I know, that that is about as bizarre a nickname, She Gave Me Water, because when we were all much younger, uh, in well, between sort of 15 and 18, he had, he, he wasn't, he's, still, and he's got a face, face facts here, uh, he's not a traditionally good-looking man, and he certainly wasn't a very good-looking teenager. And whenever he used to try his luck with uh, girls in bars, and he did, he did. He was always knocked back. But as he walked over to sort of say, can I buy you a drink? We were reminded of Kazimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame when he thinks lovingly about Esmeralda, who was kind to him. And he looks towards the heavens and he remembers her and he just goes, she gave me water. Because she does. When they're whipping him, she gives him a little drop of water. She gave me water. And as our mate would walk towards this girl, we always go, she gave me water. <laughs> I've got to say, occasionally he's still called that. Oh, she gave me water because yeah, and he'd come back not she'd come back being knocked back by whatever girl it was, and we would all say to him, "Did she give you any water?" Shut up. <laughs> she gave me water. Well, that's us uh, for this particular tranche of shows. But we're bang <laughs> with you again next Wednesday and next Saturday, but in a new location. Um, it's over at uh, Patreon. You can search my name over at the Patreon site, and uh, it should come up there. And I promise you, these, uh, I, I, I'm not trying to shortchange or do anyone out of anything. Peps will be there. Louise Napoleon Pepper, the great granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh. Thank you. I hope, uh, because I'm adding to it every day. That if you ever like the books and the tours and all of that, it's all going to be gathered under one roof for the first time ever. But uh, hopefully, uh, we can make a go of it, just us and the rest of the treehouse. Uh, play the music if you would, Phil. Two, three, four. Climb up, go in, let's cozy down Wave goodbye to that silly frown As we chase our cares away In the treehouse The fire's on, it's warm inside We guarantee you'll be satisfied As we laugh the day away In the treehouse Take it away, Danny! That has been Louise Pepper on the other side of the table. Uh, the subjects will come up the same as always on my Twitter feed. Phil Wilding is making the move with us, and I sincerely hope that you can too, because we do, no matter what else is happening in the world, do try to look up, not down, and so it will continue. Uh, the subjects will come out the same way. I hope your responses will be the same way, and I hope you can join us. Thank you very much indeed, everyone. I'll see you on the grand new venture, because it's always chiefly yourselves. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.